right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back, Welcome Science in back. Between. It's uh, oh, I can't. We can't even say it's a new year because this is. Even though we're recording it early in the new year, there's a there's a delay because we do some advanced recording before the holidays so that we can enjoy our holidays uh, without yeah. having to stress about recording. So this is mid. This is a mid January. Everybody's already Shortest. settled in. They're not writing 2023 anymore. They're only writing 2024. Right. It's, yeah. they're, they're used to it now. Yeah, they're bored. They're waiting for 2025 already. Yeah. So we let's not talk about the new year. Let's talk no. about, you know, I'm Something Ollie else. and you're Scott. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we can talk about that. And this is Science in Between. Science in Between. Yeah, um, where we talk about nonsense. and not Or sense. Sometimes we talk sense. sense about nonsense. Sure. Who knows? So yeah. today, what we're going to talk about is, um, I, I mean, generally, broadly speaking, we're going to talk about perfectionism, but I think we're going to talk about perfectionism um, as it manifests in the way that we think about, think about school and schooling and grades and and how um, how we think sort of ambitious science teaching or, or f- approaches to education like that are um potentially you know bastions against perfectionism but um but it's tricky because i think i think really what we're talking about is the difference between perfect and and excellent right right um and uh i think that's it's a really important distinction and one that has been eroded by um by a culture that um, wants everybody to have an A and a hundred percent and a perfect score on the GRE or the SAT or whatever. And, and this, um, has caused our educational system and us as people, a lot of real problems. I think. Yeah. I think we see that in, you know, I, where was I? I was at my nephew's graduation, high school graduation. Mm, nice. And, uh, this was in, in last May or June and they, uh, we're announcing the GPA of the graduating oh. class, and that and they're like, we're happy to announce that this graduating class had the highest GPA oh. on record for the school. Amazing! Like, and everyone had, I think it was something like a three seven five or a three eight or some something bananas like that, yeah. and and they were like, woo. Clapping, Ooh, yeah, it best was class like, ever, best class yes. ever. And they were talking about the pandemic and how this graduating class had navigated the pandemic, which you know is is a reoccurring theme in a lot yeah. of graduation ceremonies as of late. Yeah, um, but sure. the the interesting thing for me is I went, what now? <laughs> yeah, my it landed so much right. differently with yes. me than with other people, and I went, <laughs> I could just see you in the audience <laughs> with your hand up. My, excuse, excuse me. me. Pardon me, me. Uh, sir, <laughs> ma'am, sir or ma'am. I have a question. Yeah, it landed completely differently with me. With with I was I was thinking, okay, so if everybody is getting A's now, I I understand. I am uh, if people meet expectations laid out in class, I think people deserve to get an A, right? But I think that there's this there is this culture of perfectionism, right? There's a culture of that that grade carry some sort of you know internal thing for meaning. for students meaning right 
Yeah. If they're, hey, if I've gotten this grade, that means that I have value. Yes. I am that kind of person. Yes. Yes. Which is. And, go ahead. and this whole graduating class yes. was seeking that. Well, we as humans seek it. I mean, I think this is the thing that's so um, pernicious, too, about about this about this kind of grading system um, or, or ranking system. Like we're always ranking people and Mm -hmm. grading them and scoring them and comparing them because, because we think that's the only way that what, I don't know. You can decide who the people are most worthy of whatever the thing is, whether that's a scholarship or a job or a whatever. Right. So we spend a lot of time with like ranking and, and, you know, and it's all based or almost all of it, especially in the past, was based on this idea that things are in a normal distribution. Right. And there's an average and then there's a yeah. standard deviation from the average. And if you're a certain number of standard deviations above the average, then you're in the top whatever few percent, which is what an A used to mean. And therefore, you're particularly worthy. Now, grades don't represent that that normal distribution anymore. By any uh, I don't know. If, I, I don't know if that's still the case. I mean, I think there are some like pockets in which that there are like you and I, you know, being physics majors, that was pretty common for them to calculate what the mean of a test was and then do the standard deviation and say, OK, this is this is where the A's start. Right. Yeah. And and it was like, whoa, like that was that was, you know basically how I got through my physics degree was just to be just a little bit above average, to be quite honest. Hi, I'm Ali. I'm just Hi. a little bit above average. Just, just a little bit. Squinch. Um, yeah, but I mean, okay, there are exceptions, but I mean, clearly not in the high school graduation that you attended, oh, no. right? Because no, that no, is no, not that's... a standard deviation when you have a, a, or a, a normal distribution. If you have all of the students at above a 3.5 and most of them above a 3.8, like yes. you've, you've squeezed that distribution down into a, basically a bar graph. So you no longer have, um, you no longer have differentiation. You no longer can say like, Oh, this kid. And, and maybe on some level that, solves the problem (laughs) like if everybody gets an a then everybody gets an a and then then you have to find other ways of differentiating people but i do think you know i mean it goes back to this idea of like what is the purpose of grades and why do we have them and i mean i think historically we had grades because once once schooling became a thing that was supposed to be an indicator of post-school usefulness to society um, we had to start scoring people because because businesses were like, oh, well, all these guys graduated from high school or graduated from school, completed eighth grade or whatever it was when they first started grading. But we don't know what's the difference between Ollie and Scott. Like we have to hire one of them and we need to know which one's a better going to be a better employee of our company. So we need these schools to start scoring and ranking these people so that we know which ones are the good ones or the schools, you know, it used to be it was easy because you just hired the the richest kids who had the most influence and whose parents were, you know, pillars of the community. And and then you worked your way down from there. But then later it's like, oh, well, we want to have some sort of meritocracy, uh, quote unquote. So now we have to f- develop this scoring system. So we developed this scoring system and now we're stuck with it. Yeah, 
but I think that in some parts, you know, there's you know the this badging or credentialing process, right? That is that they're trying to say, okay, they they've met these competencies. Somebody's met a competency mm-hmm. through some sort of demonstration, and that doesn't come with a, a grade. It just comes with a hey, here's a a badge or a certificate, a something to add to your you know, dossier in some way. And I think that's something that's certainly happening in professional development circles with like in-service teachers and, you know, certainly in, in colleges too. I mean, that's, there's been some movement at our university around that about like, you know, alternate credentialing um, yeah. to be able to say, okay, this person's got a badge in, I don't know, I don't know, active learning. Ah, oh, you got right. a, you got a, a, a badge for that. And that demonstrates not that you got an A or a B or a C, that you've met whatever those competencies are. And maybe that's the way to look at it is, okay, all of the students in this graduating class met the credential. They all got a badge, you know? Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. not the way it's viewed, but I hear what no. you're saying. No. Yeah. It's I like- mean, I think that's the challenge is that um, it's it's not even clear well it, it let's say it this way it is clear that a 3.8 gpa does not always mean the same thing no right it does not For, not even in one school much less comparing across schools so it can't it can't possibly be measuring the same thing now the argument then is you take something like the sat um which in theory does measure the same thing because it because everybody takes the same exam um so there's some sort of fairness to it in that regard. Um, but still, it's a distribution, right? Like that's based on a normal distribution. Um, uh, on a I just want to rewind it for a second yeah. that you said that the SAT was fair. No, that's not what I said. I said it's more fair <laughs> in the sense that at least at least everybody's taking the same exam. I don't, sure. I think this, the SAT is, is an insane way to figure out who is best suited. And there's a fair amount of evidence that it's not a very good. Predictor, I know. I was, I, I was just I know what a little bit. I was poking, I know poking the bear a bit. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think so. Two things. I, I feel, um, I feel I want to tell a story from my doctoral program that I I think you may remember. Um, I don't know if I told this story before. Oh, I think you have. Have I the the, the qualitative analysis class? Yes. Have I told on the podcast? This is an ongoing trauma for you. Yes, I've heard this story a number of times. But have I said it here on Uh, the podcast? Oh, have you said it on the podcast? I think you might have actually, but I think it's worth retelling anyway. Right. Let's so pretend if, I've never heard this. Okay. Story. Please so if tell you're, me this story. if you're a newer listener and you haven't th- heard the story, um, I got an A minus in, mm. in, and it was the only A minus I'd gotten in any of my graduate classes, all of that. So, I mean, mm-hmm. my problem wasn't so much with the grade. Mm-hmm. It was, I received no feedback on mm-hmm. how I got the grade. Mm. I didn't get feedback on a single paper. I didn't get a single like comment. I just got a grade at the end of the semester and I had no idea. And this was the first of two qualitative classes I was going to take. And so I was livid. Yes. And it was, it was in the fall semester. I had taken this class and I just remember driving to Penn state in like mid-December, looking anywhere for this professor. Actually, it was co-taught for either one of the two professors who had taught this class, neither of which were available for comment or discussion or or anything. Yes. 
So I got no feedback. And I still, to this day, have no idea how I got an A minus in this class, which, you know, talking to you, you know, you're like, just chill out. You know, you're trying to talk me off the ledge as my, you know, <laughs> doctoral advisor. But, and I carried that around with me for a, quite a bit of years. Well, well yeah, arguably, st- arguably <laughs> still carrying it around a little bit, um, arguably. But again, like I'm like a beginning researcher. I'm a beginning doctoral right. student. And, and I'm like, and I was interested in doing qualitative work. Ultimately, I did a phenomenological study as yeah. my dissertation. So it's something that I wanted to, I had passion in, something I wanted to, you know, it's something I, I like, you know, now supervise, uh, you know, doctoral students' dissertations. I need to have some sort of knowledge about right. what, you know, how to improve. Well, and one of those um, faculty members was a phenomenological scholar. Yes, he was. That was his. That was his bag. Yes, right. You know, we won't. Uh, no, we're we're saving. The <laughs> we're names, not naming names. Protecting naming. the not so innocent. Anyway, <laughs> so it like years later. Years later, I'm at a conference and I bump into two uh, now you know, graduates of the program who are, you know, doctor, you know, professors, professors someplace. somewhere. Yeah. Someplace. And I was like, Hey guys, how's it going? They're like, we haven't seen you since so-and-so's class. And I'm like, so-and-so's yeah, how about that? And I said, how about that class? And I just laid into it. I'm like, ah, you know, just sharing my pain. And they're like, we both got B's. Yeah. Like you're the highest grade of all the people <laughs> we know. And I'm like, how am I the highest grade? And I'm like, so, you know, so. Well, no, I mean, I think without turning this into uh, let's let's uh, talk therapy, therapy with Ollie. <laughs> no, but I think um, it demonstrates exactly what you're talking about. It does. Right? I, it I just, realize it. I realize. Yeah. That well, and, and a qu- follow up question I would have for you is if you'd gotten an A in that class, would you still be bound up about it? Even though you got no feedback. Well, I think. Yeah, that, that I think that the the problem was, would I? I don't know. Like, I I think that the had I gotten an A, then the assumption on my part would have been that I was doing something okay. I was doing something right. Well, yeah, right. I think I I, I don't think you would have thought you were doing something okay. I think you would have thought that you did something right, and even arguably, if not perfect like at least excellent, right? Because right. your assumption would be, oh, I didn't get feedback because my work was so good, it didn't require feedback didn't, or yes. some version of that. I would have inferred that, yes. Or, yeah, or you just wouldn't have cared because you got the highest possible grade in the class and who cares right. then, right? So, But I think that that's exactly, that's like the flip side of this problem, right? Which is that, you know, part of the problem is the striving, the, the what the internal punishment you've done to yourself over this a minus versus a that sucks right and we have a lot of that in our system where people get a grade lower than an a and some people well some people pretend it it doesn't impact them that i don't care about grades or whatever even those people like nobody likes being compared so getting a c or whatever you can say oh i don't care but ultimately you do care and and it hurts right even if it's just a small uh hurt but the flip side of it is this, this um, like I got an A thing where you're just um, you think you've done it as well as it can be done because you got an A, and that's what an A means. When um, I think this is this is the problem with with that system, 
um, of of any system like that, right? It is it it sort of and and maybe now to turn this and talk about why AST is slightly different and how right. it potentially has an opportunity to change that is it does shift towards this idea of excellence because you're you're building an explanation the explanation is not meant to be perfect because it can't be there's no such thing as a perfect explanation there's always an explanation that can be expanded to cover more phenomenon or deepened to, to better explain details of the phenomenon or whatever right so there isn't you never get to this is completely a done thing and experiencing that especially if you do experience it repeatedly that your ideas are put forward and they're they're not complete they're not where they should be but you also realize that as they improve they're still not complete and they're not where they should be but the goal is to make them better like that's a very different mindset than the idea of like well if i get to an a now i don't have to worry about it anymore because now i can just say oh well i got an a so i'm done but i think it still comes back to the it shows the importance of feedback it's it shows that not to you know come back to the a minus or anything but if we're going to say that something needs to be revised or improved to make it better, mm-hmm. then as 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 teachers, we have to provide feedback or questions or driving questions to help them help our students recognize, okay, this is how you can improve this. This is how you can make this thing better. This is how you can, you know, strive for a better explanation. Yeah. And and so we have to provide models for that. And and I think that's a different that's a different sort of position as teachers that some folks aren't going to be comfortable with. Yeah, I think I think that's true, um, though, I think most teachers probably think or feel like they give feedback to their students in various forms. I guess the thing I would say is to push on that a little is I think what we're really talking about is creating classroom environments where the teacher doesn't have to be the locus of feedback, that the environment, that the other students, that the ideas, that the evidence, that other things are giving quote unquote feedback to students' ideas. So they're being tested against, in the case of science, data about the natural world, right? It's not like, is it right or is it wrong? It's like, does it match with, does it explain the data? And um, I think that's a very different position of say, than saying the teacher, because even if, if you're thinking about the teacher giving feedback, there's an implication there that the teacher has the right answer. And your, your, your answer as a student is moving closer and closer to that correct teacher answer when really that's not right. Um, the, I mean, the teacher has a better explanation than you do because they've explained it more and they've thought about it more and they've had classes about the underlying science more than you have as a student. But I think this idea of like, what is the measure of quality is is an important question in these environments. Well, I, I think that's where the the problem lies is that there's this we gravitate towards objectives, like like an objective measure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what and definitely though you didn't do it, I'm imagining in your head and certainly in my head, there's some air quotes around objective. But yes, right. Yeah. Some. I recognize it's, you yeah. know, in in science and I, I, we're on the same page with that. But in terms of, you know, it's the list. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. the how many details do I buckets. have to. Here we are. Right. How many details do I have to include? How many, you know, whatever yeah. have you, you know, have you identified this? 
Have you, and does your explanation include, and this is where we get to rubrics and all of yep. this. Yep. And those rubrics are often just counting eggs. It's like, yeah, how many sure eggs do you have in this box? How many eggs do you have in this box? Okay. And if you've been able to list all the eggs, then you got the A. Then then you got the A. Yeah. And you you didn't get the A because you didn't have enough eggs. You didn't count enough eggs. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, yes, exactly. I mean, I think this is, this is the fundamental question that I think is attention um, because in science, what makes a good explanation is is that it explains the existing data ideally right. in the simplest way um, and maybe predicts some interesting possibilities that we haven't considered, right? That criteria is not present in most school science environments because in school science environments, there is a correct answer and you either have it or you don't. And so that that tension is built on the idea that we have to score people comparatively to each other rather than to, to some real external notion of what whether ideas are good or not, which is to say, do they explain the thing that we want them to explain? I think it, it really is an interesting um, tension that we have to grapple with. I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying AST is the magic solution to this, because in the end, you still have to give these kids grades, right? Right. Um, but it does open up the possibility, for example, of giving people two different grades that have two different, quote unquote, qualities of explanation, um, but also giving people two very similar grades for having two different qualities of explanations that you can differentiate based on, hey, this is this is Ali's explanation, and he's he's got certain capacities in science that make it more and an ability to express himself. That means his answer is going to be a lot stronger than Scott's. It's going to be clearer. It's going to have more detail. It's going to be better grammatically, all these other reasons, but I'm still going to give Scott the same grade as Ali, even though their explanations aren't identical on some objective rubric because Scott's explanation has improved a lot and has, has done more work in terms of incorporating evidence than than I expected he was going to be able to, and therefore he deserves the same grade as Ali, even though quote unquote objectively they didn't they didn't get to the same spot. And I think that's yeah. that puts that intention with some of these like mastery ideas of learning too. Right. Well I think that's where there's going to be challenges with this. Cause I think that one Amen, brother. Well I think one of them, and this is something you you talked about you know before the show was you know, that AST could be a possible solution, I think maybe is the, the way you framed it, uh, for perfectionists or against perfection or to kind of like, you know, breathe that out of the system. Yeah. Right. Well, right. right. Yeah. Per, yeah. Because there's there's no such thing as perfect. Right. It's only better. Yeah. And, exactly. and I worry that you're going to have students who are not going to be able to see the better or even be see motivated by that. the better, right? Because they're really focusing on, okay, because they exist in this culture, like school is for better or worse. And it's certainly worse where, you know, people are getting gold stars and lots of gold stars are going to be not given out. Yep. And a science class is the place where we're like, okay, we're not focusing on gold stars. We're focusing on crafting really good explanations and improving our explanations based on the data we collect. 
Mm-hmm. And we're going to engage in the practice of science and practice of science is in having, you know, it's, it's having an explanation in a discourse community mm-hmm. that draws on the evidence and, mm-hmm. you know, some way captures it in a way that makes sense. Yeah. But I think, I think the difference for me is that what the it's not that we're not giving gold stars because we have to get gold stars because that's the way the system works. The question is, what does the gold star mean? Sure. Right. And I think if the gold star means you worked hard to improve your explanation, to incorporate more evidence than you had in your original explanation, to better articulate your thinking in your explanation, like these kinds of things. And that's what you get a gold star for versus is your explanation better, i.e. more complete, more correct, more whatever, right, on some absolute scale? That's a very different thing. Now, I understand that's a that's a cultural shift and and it's going to be difficult to happen in schools because schools are designed explicitly to compare kids to say this kid is better or worse than that kid at X. And so if if that's what the gold star is, is the only way that you can get a gold star is that somebody else doesn't get a gold star because they have to get a lower score than you. Right. That's that's where we get into, I think, a problem of perfectionism. And and it feeds into this idea that whatever assessment we develop can accurately determine those kinds of things. Uh, And I which is to say, who's going to be the more successful human being at X? And uh, I think that's a deeply problematic idea. Um, Right. Because a lot of, you know, if for no other reason, then we have a school system that's based on age, right? So, you know, and this goes back to Malcolm Gladwell's thing. Yeah, we talked about this. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, well, all five-year-olds are not even five. So we're comparing a bunch of five-year-olds that are not all five years old and then deciding who's the best. And it's like, well, who's likely to be the best are the ones that are the oldest five-year-olds, turns out, at whatever the hell you're measuring. So yeah, we've got a we've got a system that um that is designed to disadvantage and marginalize certain kids, not to mention all the other ways that we do it, not just based on age, but based on race and gender and body, you know, all the all the isms, right? So I don't know. I mean, I think this how do you figure out a system where where you can help I mean again what's the goal of the gold star is the gold the goal of the gold star to differentiate between student A and student B or is the gold star to um to to give someone a recognition of the work that they've done that they've met some sort of i, I the competency have they met some sort of and that competency I'm using the competency in in science it would be are they able to make evidence-based explanations. Mm-hmm. And ultimately that's something that will help them beyond the classroom of lo- learning the list of, you know, all the biological, you know, taxonomy. Right. Right. But the, the challenge is when you name that competency, then there, there becomes a sense that, it should be the same that the measurement of that competency should be the same for all people. Cause that's, what's fair. Yeah. Right. Sure. 
And and that's a problem, right? Because if you're going to say, look, that competency can manifest in multiple ways, and we're going to we're going to recognize that by saying Ollie and Scott's explanations are both um, both worthy of a gold star, and somebody else is going to say, well, wait, Scott's explanation sucks compared to Ollie's. <laughs> so why I, is he or or the star? opposite or yeah. the opposite? Well, in in the scenario that we've painted, uh, that's the scenario. So it's like, so why does Scott get a gold star? He does not quote unquote deserve a gold star. Because he didn't do the level of work that Ali did. Look at the quality. Look at the A minus quality of Ali's work, <laughs> and look at Scott's clearly B quality work, and tell me why Scott should get an A minus like Ali, right? And it, and that that is fundamentally driving and driven by this notion of perfectionism, and that there is a that there is a I don't know that there is a a way to compare people that is authentically fair and just. And I'm, I think it's really difficult. I think it's difficult. Well, that's the, that's the thing when we do these, you know, professional development with teachers and with folks, that's inevitably one of the, they ask about assessment and they ask yeah. about grades yeah. and they set, they do separate those. They do say, you know, how do we assess this? But they're re- they're also asking, how do we grade this? Like, how do, how do I, give you know gold stars and silver stars and bronze stars and right brown stars (laughs) is there such a thing yeah well it's like a poop emoji but they just make it into a star shape so oh makes you feel better (laughs) here's your brown star you get the poop star (laughs) you get the poop star it's just well name of the show right there there's there it is name of the episode you get a poop star Uh, yeah 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 i don't like i will say that i had students who came into my classroom who were used to who were really successful in biology or chemistry which were very you know list-based classrooms yeah and they would come into to physics which was less so that and they were challenged by having things where there wasn't always just one answer. There was multiple answers that they, there's always like a way to mm. be there. There was an objective <laughs> answer. Cause we did a lot of problem solving yes. in physics. Right. Yeah. 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 So there's an objective answer, but there's not one right solution. There could be multiple ways of deriving or getting to that solution, depending yeah. on the, you know? Yeah. So they, some students had real problems with that. Some yeah. students had problems with alternative solutions or or even just thinking. Yeah, I mean, I want to be careful because right. the, the implication there is like physics is somehow inherently more a thinking-based discipline than chemistry or biology. And Well, they, um, I think what they wanted me to do was to just break it down into like, what is the list? Yeah, but there's a list in physics. Sure, there is. I mean, I remember one of the things that we were able to do, and I think lots of physics teachers used to do this, when I, I think when I taught physics, but I know when I took physics, we got to bring an index card with us that had whatever formulas on it we wanted. And all it could have was formulas, but you were allowed to bring an index card with formulas into the test with you. And, um, you know, the idea of physics is that it's, 
the idea of the way that physics gets taught in school is that it's the application of these mathematical formulas to the world or specifically specific pieces of of data or numbers that you're given and to calculate um and so i do think that that requires a different skill set than than memorizing all the right. you know the organelles in a cell and that was the differentiation i was making was yeah. between memorizing content which yeah. is not just like a physics versus biology or physics versus chemistry there's a different you know way of thinking that like i stink at memorizing stuff i yeah. stink at it and mm -hmm. i to this day given a list of things to memorize i just can't do it yeah I, it, it requires terrible. a lot of cognitive activity a lot of energy for me to be able to do that yeah and like note cards and you know going through and and that's just not how i choose to spend my day yeah. um but where it's like i can look at a problem and, and think through it and it's just a different way of using my brain yeah no i agree that they're they're um especially the way they're taught in schools, those disciplines are, are different to each other. I just want to, you know, like sure. as physicists, we get, you know, and I'm not Wait. a physicist. I'm, let, let's be clear. Sure. I'm a person who has an undergraduate degree in physics. Um, but as a physics person, um, we get accused, I think quite rightly of thinking that we are somehow superior and more logical or more fundamental or more whatever. I just want to be careful that we're not, trying to make it sound like physics is um, like actually requires thinking and biology and chemistry are just memorization. So yeah, I, yeah. I know, I know I, that's not what you're saying. I just not what I was clear saying that that's not what we're saying. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think these are, um, you know, these are the, these are the core frustrations that I have with traditional schooling that ambitious science teaching and forms of teaching like it, have always been of interest to me to varying degrees. Like we we've talked about like the coalition of essential schools yeah. or some of the, some of the other efforts to transform schools to be more thoughtful in this regard. Um, and they've had varying degrees of success. But I think one of the, one of the problems is that we seem to have baked into us as human beings, a, a sense of competition, which uh, I make sense biologically, right? I mean, biologically, that's that's how your genes survive is through competition. So if you're better than than the other person, you're more likely whatever better means in an evolutionary sense, then your genes are more likely to be propagated in the next generation. And that's that's makes sense why our psychology has developed that way. Um, that said, we're cultural animals and we can we can make decisions about what things we want to just be ruled by as opposed to things that we want to change. And I would love to see us try and do a little more work on changing some of these these. Um, yeah, really, really. I don't know. I don't want to bad. Let's just say bad, <laughs> bad. <laughs> <laughs> bad ways of thinking about how humans are in relation to each other. I just think it's really toxic to, um, to so many things and, and so many um, children in particular in schools are impacted by this comparison in ways that um, I think 
play out in in really bad ways. And and I think thinking about that and really trying to grapple with the fact that schools do that um, is something that we should be trying to do. That's a. I think that's a good place to end. Okay, let's end there. <laughs> well, I think it captures. Yeah, you know your your stance on why schools need to change and what it does to kids and why you know AST or other types of teaching um, that are more focused on you know individual improvement, individual you know growth. Those are things that and and moves away from com, you know comparing and having kids compete with one another. Mm-hmm. I think that, that that's a it's a good place to to wrap yeah. up. And then move to joys, you know, joys. Yeah. You, you have one or. Uh, yeah, I have one. Let's see. I'm trying to think now which ones uh, I've already talked about. I hate when I do this because my brain is, I've always like, oh, do I? Um, so, well, if you have one off the top of your head, go, because I got to think. For well, this is, this is one that I think has come up from you in previous, mm. you know, previous episodes and I wanted to kind of cycle back because it's been on my list of books to read and shows to watch. And it's station 11, which uh, was uh, a book by Emily St. John Mandel. She's a uh, Canadian writer and she wrote this book called uh, station 11, which is a post pandemic, post apocalyptic dystopian novel uh, set in well, actually, it's it's one of those books where I really enjoy these types of books where they jump around a lot yeah. and they require a lot from you as a reader to pay attention, pay attention to the characters, pay attention to the timeline mm-hmm. and and really understand how things play out, because it is it is really complex. It's a complex tale. Yeah. And it won a book award, I think, or several book awards. Um and all of the characters are, you know, interwoven. All of the characters are some way related to one another. And you don't know that in the beginning. It just sort of plays out. Um, but then, you know, I finished the book a few weeks ago and then I started watching the series. And there's a series on mm-hmm. HBO or Max or whatever it's called now. And mm-hmm. it, it that series came out, uh, I don't know, 2020, 2021 maybe right after the the pandemic. Yeah. Um and it it was it's kind of interesting because how the series plays out there's a flu, there's a flu, a global flu that takes over and just according to the book knocks much out more like, deadly. Much more deadly and quick. Yep. Deadly and quick in that in a very short period of time like 99.99% of the world's population is gone. Yeah. And there's just a handful of people that are, you know, dispersed throughout the world. Mm-hmm. And it really focuses in on a part of the United States, like in the Michigan, Chicago, you know, Toronto yeah. area, like that, the Great Lakes area. Yeah. And it focuses in on that area and this this traveling symphony. Most of it's around this traveling symphony. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that the what comes back or what gets built back, depending on where people are in this story and where they right. are in this community, what comes back first? Yeah. Whether it's like 
writing like a newspaper or whether it's music and art. Yeah. 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 That to me is really fascinating. And that's one of the things that, you know, I, I wish I would have been able to read this at the same time as somebody else, because I would really like to unpack some of those things Mm -hmm. about like how these different communities and how people react to that. Because you have some people who are like, okay, we have got to build community. This is someplace where we're not going to be able to survive without one another. And then you have mm-hmm. other people who are just like, okay, this is the my opportunity to kind of take over mm-hmm. and be, a, you know, not just be a leader, but be like, you know, not a good leader. Let's just call it that. <laughs> well, they, I mean, the, per, the one main, if there's a villain in this, it's the prophet. There's a prophet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the other part that I appreciate about it, it's all built really around this graphic novel. Yeah. Which, you know, I'll leave that there because that kind of like is the, yeah. you know, one of the driving narratives in there that's like develops. Yeah. 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 No, it's it's a it's a great book and it's a they did a masterful job doing the television series. And I know you said this, but it is not the same thing. So you can you can see the series and read the book or read the book and see the series and it's not going to entirely yeah. spoil it. I mean, you can there's enough difference between the two that you can enjoy both. And yeah, they're both. I mean, we were saying this in the, before the show, but uh, I think the TV series in particular really rewards or potentially, because I haven't done this yet, but rewards multiple viewings because I think it's got layers and connections and this jumping of timelines. They do a lot of things where a, a character is experiencing something in sort of, quote unquote, the present, yeah. but is mirrored by an experience they had in the past. And they're and they cut between those two events in really nice ways. So you so it's it's like you're you're watching the person experience the memory of something while they're doing something else. And it's really. Yeah. And that's a that's a cool device that they do because they've done it like right from the beginning where they show locations like in the now and the then. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just flat flicker back and forth where it's like, it is really well done. And that yeah. just fell off my radar. The book and the series fell off my late radar. And I think our discussion here brought it back and it was, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Really cool. both very good. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. Nice. Um, so I'm going to recommend, I, I don't know, maybe it's not a recommend my joy, which is uh, I'm going to sort of put as a, it's uh, in between. Like, I like this thing, but I didn't love this thing. But I thought it was really interesting and certainly different to, I think, anything that I've read before. <laughs> Maybe not, but pretty close. So it's called Dr. No. It's by uh, by a faculty, an English faculty member named Percival Everett. And he's written a lot of books. Um, and some of them have been considered for major prizes. Um, I don't think this one was. Um, this is a novel that was given to me Um by my mom, as it turns out, um, who is a former librarian and, and she had just read it and gave it to me. And so I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. It's, um, I mean, the premise of the book is it's about a mathematician who studies nothing, um, which is to say the concept of nothing. Um, but Everett plays with this notion of nothing and, and, throughout the whole book in, in this really interesting way. And that it's, it's almost a farcical book in some regards. It's got commentary on lots of issues about race and, um, and society and, and, um, but, but what there, this, the, the villain in the movie is this person who, this man who's explicitly decided he wants to be a bond villain, 
Um, and so he is recruiting this math, um, this math professor to help him because he wants to weaponize nothing. And his notion is that nothing is what's at one of the things that's actually in Fort Knox. So they're going to rob Fort Knox, not for the gold, but for the nothing that is either there or not there, depending on how you think about nothing in the Fort Knox vault. And, um, so it's, it's a weird book. It's a weird book, but, um, but it was, it's, it, it's the sort of book where you, you like, it doesn't give you, there's not a lot of opportunity to not think about what's going on because everything is sort of mind bending simultaneously in all sorts of different directions. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting book and, you know, it's not my favorite novel ever, but it certainly pressed me to think about things. It not least of which is, uh, nothing. So, <laughs> what are you, you thinking go. about? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, I mean that that line happens so many times in the book. But um and just no spoilers, but Quincy Mass uh gets nothing in the book uh which you know because they're testing the, testing nothing as a weapon and uh yeah, it's fascinating. Wow. Um, it's it's quite a it's quite a novel, but um well, I'll put that on my potential read list yeah Yeah. Um, i mean i'll loan it to you if you want it but um yeah it's uh it's like the seinfeld episodes they're they're about nothing right exactly about nothing this is a book about nothing except this is explicitly about nothing like they talk about nothing all the time wow (laughs) which even saying that (laughs) sounds crazy but you know it's named dr no which of course is an actual james bond movie and an and an actual james bond villain um, which I think makes it a little bit funnier too, that there's, you know, that Dr. Nothing anyway, well, there you go. Look at that. Yeah. It'll keep you I, awake I, anyway. I do appreciate that you called it, you know, not a joy, yeah. but in, in between. Yeah. Oh, hmm. there you go. Look at that. Uh, you, you said it so casually <laughs> that in between. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just yeah like, there you go. Just like everything on the show. Yeah. Like All everything right. in the show, it's kind of falls in between. There you go. Someplace in between. Somewhere. Snancy yeah. in between. And, and we'll catch you next time. In between. See, there it is. <laughs> see you then. You're supposed to say see you then. See you then. Bye now. <laughs>